Welcome, Glencoe. We're pleased you're with us for our D35 on the go, our District 35 podcast. We hope this allows you to listen, learn, and stay connected when it's convenient for you. I'm Katherine Wang. I have the pleasure of serving as the superintendent of our school district and your host. Today, we'll talk with Dr. Devorah Heitner, author of Screenwise and Growing Up in Public. Dr. Heitner has written articles about children and technology that have been published in the Washington Post and New York Times. And when we think about the focus and the topics that you've covered, you help us to think about mentoring versus monitoring when it comes to working with your children in digital tools, ways to support children in thinking critically about what we post and engaging in an online dialogue, and also considerations to help us determine our child's readiness for various tech tools and apps. And we're so glad that you're with us here today, Dr. Heitner. We have had the opportunity to meet with you with our parents. Um, We've done a smaller group again today, and then today we've had the opportunity to have you visit with our fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth graders. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I loved being with the kids today. They're so fun. It was um, wonderful to also see when we think about developmental readiness, we could definitely see and feel a difference between that five, six, sixth grade group and our seventh and eighth grade group. How did, did you feel that as well? Oh, yeah. And they're just in a different place. They're a little more open. They're a little more able to disclose some of the hard things about being on tech. I mean, even your seventh and eighth graders seem to feel like relatively safe sharing, but they're not just going to share some of the same kinds of things because they need to like protect their image a little more. And I think in fifth and sixth grade, you know, it's also new and being on group texts and being on games together, it's still really new. So they, I think there's more that they can kind of say about it and they don't, they're just figuring it out together. So we like to start with our podcast with a lightning round and we're going to ask you a few questions so we can get to know you as a human being as well as the author. Um, All right, so some of your favorite things. What was your favorite game to play as a child? Oh, my goodness. I think hide-and-seek. I was, like, obsessed with hide-and-seek. And And my cousins and I would play these epic games where sometimes, like, someone was, like, never, you know, not never found, like, I don't know where they are today, but never found, like, they had to sort of end the game and be like, okay, I give up. Or adult help to say it's dinner time. Yeah. Where's where's cousin Johnny? I hear the kids are now (laughs) playing with phones and then they're texting each other their location, which I do think is so interesting. That's like a a sign of our times. Mm -hmm. How about your um, the first social media site that you joined? Definitely Facebook. I was an early Facebook user. And now, what's your favorite app? That's a great question. I'm really interested and intrigued by discord but i'm not a regular user so i guess i would say instagram although favorite is maybe a stretch i have a mixed relationship with it but i do use instagram a fair amount now and you know post about the book and about ideas about kids growing up in the digital age and sort of sort of where i go like it sort of replaced twitter for me which has kind of been going through some things and are you a parent yes i have a 14 year old ninth grader so you are living this world as an author, as a parent, as a researcher. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. When you think about your most recent book and um, growing up in public, what's the most interesting thing you feel like you came across as you were researching and prepping for the book? One of the things that really blew my mind is the way that although adults tend to worry about the ways kids are self-disclosing about mental health and about sexuality and identity and gender I actually found that kids tend to feel really positive about their experiences with self-disclosure and 
I, I would say kids are changing the culture. They're making the world a better place by being so highly disclosing and by sharing these things that used to be so stigmatized. And I think as adults, we would do well to kind of notice that about kids and support them. Uh, that said, I, I do sympathize with adults who are nervous about their kids' disclosure because, of course, we do worry about stigma and there is prejudice and there is discrimination. So I get why adults worry, but I just think kids are really changing the rules. So that kind of leads into everything you're working on and that whole idea of growing up in public. So Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your background. What led you to zero in more in this area of technology and and use as children are growing? So I was a media studies professor and I was teaching 18 to 22 year olds at DePaul and then at Lake Forest College. And I saw that my students had such extreme differences, even with their younger siblings in terms of what was happening. There were these micro generations of the early years of social media. So I had my kids who'd grown up on MySpace and then were becoming the first Facebook users. Uh, I had kids who had grown up with AIM and are now, you know, in their 30s. So I guess that's like the elder millennials. And then I had the sort of early social media users like post MySpace. And I think it made me realize that there was a need to sort of understand the experience of coming of age of these kids. And I also became a parent in those years. And I was really intrigued by my cohort of my peers asking questions of like, should we be posting our babies on, on Facebook? Like, is this a good idea? And then so many parents kind of coming together in these parenting Facebook groups and neighborhood groups. And some of that, you know, was really great. And some of it was not very positive. Some of it, you know, was really difficult. And people were very contentious in some of those spaces about parenting. It turns out people have very strong feelings about raising kids. Who knew? <laughs> and so I just learned a lot about the dynamics of social media. And as a media scholar, was instantly like, oh, this is super interesting. So my background had been studying the history of television and my doctoral work. But I quickly realized that this was an area where I might be able to be helpful to people. Or you started talking about parents and what they're sharing, you know, a child's early, early days. And that makes us think about what you talked about with our students in regard to consent. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, what you what you believe in in regard to consent and online posting and what our students learned from you today? Yeah. So I believe that consent or permission in an affirmative kind of both ways, yes, is really important before we share information or video or a picture of someone And kids ideally are getting that from one another because we all want to live in a world where nobody's posting us without permission. And ideally, parents are cultivating a sense of privacy and safety at home by making sure they also ask kids before for permission before they post about kids um, and think twice about posting something that might be problematic for a kid or embarrassing for a kid later. Because we have to recognize that we as parents have an important role to play in our kids' digital footprint. We don't want to put them in a situation where they later feel exposed or they feel less safe at home because of something we've shared about them. And so as, as adults and um, you know, supporting and mentoring children, at what age would you say a parent, you should be asking your child before you post? What, where I mean, is that certainly line? if a kid is saying no or putting their hand over their face mm. or... Sometimes it's, though, before they even start asking. I mean, I would say six or seven, ideally. Like, is it okay if I share this? And younger than that, if in doubt, don't share it out. Like, if it's going to be embarrassing, if it's a potty training photo, if it's a diagnosis that your kid may or may not want to disclose later to others. Like, there's just things where you can't really take it back if you've put it out there to the whole extended family or your whole world. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes I hear about situations where kids tease each other about things their parents have posted. So if you think that's something that you know, in middle school, another kid could 
tease your kid about, maybe don't post it now. You just said something that um, I think so strongly resonated with our students and the adults who've have heard you speak. If in doubt, don't share it out. And yes, you were referencing that in regard to parents, but I almost feel like that could be the mantra for any of us in our yeah. online use, and especially our, our our young teens who are learning to navigate that world. Tell us, tell us more about yeah. that approach. I mean, sometimes if you're out with friends and your first urge is to post, and somebody might feel left out. I mean, it's going to happen. And as one kid just said in the in the assembly, like, yeah, sometimes people do go out without you, and it's okay, and you're going to do it too. And that's true. But if in doubt, don't share it out. Like if you're, you know, like. If, if you're out with four out of five of the kids you sit with at lunch and that fifth person couldn't be part of it, like maybe don't post, you know, because you know they're going to feel bad. And just, again, if, if it's embarrassing, if you know that picture is going to make somebody feel hurt or embarrassed or someone who's in the picture didn't give permission, don't share it. Sometimes the urge to share goes away later. So if we wait, sometimes that pause is kind of enough. And then we're like, oh, I have this picture of my fun day out, but I don't really need to post it. I appreciate that and the the pause. Yeah, we could all we could all do with a little pause sometimes. Or responding, as we're, yes. like to comments. Or yes. I mean, I think even more for me, like in texting, like that. Like I tend to think before I post, but I a picture. You know, I am a deliberator about pictures that I post, but with comments, it's so easy to just quickly respond to someone. It's like maybe give it another minute. One of the things we've heard you talk about in in your books as well is the importance of parents being mindful about what we're modeling as we think about our children in terms of their growing communication skills, their social etiquette. Can you say a little bit more about how the modeling as a parent of communication skills has changed since we've hit the smartphone beyond generation? I mean, we're also into our phones. And in recent years, there's even an acceleration of how much we're working from home, even from before the pandemic. So I think you know, I was already working from home, but even more so. And so just thinking about like, what are our boundaries? Can we ever be unplugged around our kids and just give them our full attention and just be physically present and emotionally and mentally present? Um, because we want them to do that with us. We want them to come to meal times and be unplugged and be connected. So if we can model that by letting our team at work know like, hey, you know, between eight and nine, I'm reading to my kids or whatever it is. And just like, kind of put up that boundary I think it's really helpful and for our kids to see that we're okay with not being able to be reached at all times you also have talked to us about um, one of the important practices of nighttime routines Mm -hmm. like can you share that say it and say it loud and proud because (laughs) I think we all need to hear it yeah I mean sleep is one of the most crucial things for our kids physical and mental health like and, and truly if all we do with tech, if the only rules we make are about unplugging our kids at night, we're already so far ahead of the game because so many of the negative experiences kids will have online are late at night. Um, sometimes that's where the group text really goes badly. And so it's just a good time to be unplugged. And sleep is so crucial for, again, for physical and mental health. And most kids this age cannot, so when I, you know, in K to eight, I'm going to say like, or in middle school, certainly can't self-regulate around that. Now, sometime before they leave home and go off to college or workplace, you know, they ha- they need to learn to self-regulate. But I don't think too many 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, you know, 8-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds can self-regulate around something as compelling, frankly, as their best friends texting them. And so if the phone is not in their room at night, if it's downstairs or in another place and off, that's ideal. That's great. I think, again, as adults, we need that reminder as well. And we need to, we need our sleep to be available and ready for the next day. So we often hear from parents about um, 
what should I do? How much should I be monitoring? How much should I be checking in on what my children are doing with their phones, devices? Can you tell us your philosophy approach when you think about monitoring versus mentoring in, in the digital world? What does that look yeah. like for you? Well, ideally, we're mentoring more than just monitoring. And that doesn't mean we're never looking at their stuff with them. I want to be really clear that mentoring is a process of teaching our kids how to do it. So if your kid is getting a watch in fourth grade or a phone in sixth grade, like you are sitting down with them and helping them plan who their contacts are and giving them some limits of who they may or may not add as contacts. You are letting them know what apps are okay or not. So what I'm not saying by mentoring over monitoring is just give them the phone and do whatever. But what I worry about is people using software to try to track their kids rather than having the hard conversations, whether it's about bullying or pornography or exclusion. We need to have the hard conversations or just even digital etiquette and how certain things might make someone else feel. Empathy, right? We need to be in the conversations with our kids, not just putting an app on their phone to monitor them. That said, some of the, the some of the mentoring could be sitting down and looking at your phone with, their phone with them, and especially in those grades like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you know, whether it's a phone or a watch or Discord or, you know, Roblox, like even like just hearing your kid on Roblox in the next room, you might be like, hmm, it seems like you guys were saying some like not that nice things to each other. Like, how can you shift the conversation in a nicer way? Like, what can you do differently next time? Or I heard, you know, you got really mad when you played, you got really frustrated and I think you quit. Like, what could you do differently next time? And that might be just you heard them in the next room. It's not like you're sort of spying on them or using software to see how it went. Because I think what that does is it creates alienation. It creates, it drives our kids to hide from us and go underground. It's better for them to know upfront if we're looking, what we're looking for, and what is our plan from backing off from looking. You know, if you have a kid who's been texting pretty successfully for a few years, you don't need to be looking at their texts, but you need them to know that they can bring to you anything that's really out of line or, you know, upsets them in any way or, you know, they need your help to solve. So when you think about um, that idea of it, it, like a gradual release, right, with mm-hmm. with support built in, we, and I think you probably are often asked this, at what age should I give my child a phone? You the expert. <laughs> what do you think? What do you say so that I can make a decision and, and do what Dr. Heitner says for the phone? I really can't give parents an age. <laughs> I, I mean, it sounds like in this community there are many people doing it even at the front end of middle school in fifth grade. If that seems too early to you, you could certainly wait. And But I would try to give your kid, if their friends are texting, a way to maybe text on your device for a year or two until you're ready. I do think kids basically do need to learn how to text, you know, before high school, and they may be more compliant and do it more, you know, according to family uh, rules if you start younger. That said, I don't think kids necessarily need a phone unless they're home alone extensively or they're, you know, doing more in the community than just riding their bike half a mile to school. Um, as much as, as any place, this is a safe community for kids to walk or bike without a phone. I think a phone in some ways is more of a hazard when you're walking and biking than not having a phone. And there's plenty of people in the community who, if your kid did fall off their bike and they needed help, would would help them. You know, they're not going to just leave your kid bleeding out in the road. And so I think it's important to not get our kids a phone because we're so worried about what might happen to them. Um, that said, if they don't have a way to communicate with their friends, I think we need to provide an alternative, whether that's letting them use our phone some of the time, maybe getting a house phone, because um, we want our kids to independently be able to make plans with peers. You talked today with our small parent group about that idea of that social language involved in learning the etiquette of setting up a play day, engaging, making plans. 
Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Of like again, going back to the the um, mentoring or coaching that our some of our children need. It's a skill set, and again, I mean, some kids are very good at this. And I, you know, I met kids who, when when remote school was happening, moved to my old neighborhood and moved next door. And the kids next door had like moved into the community and made friends in remote school that they were seeing outside of school. And I was so blown away because I knew other kids who had like lost all contact with their friends. And so I think it really varies. If you have a kid who's really good at being social and really outgoing and like has everybody's phone number by the fourth day of school or whatever, cool. Um, a lot of kids are not like that and they may need help. And if they're younger, you may be able to nudge them with like other people's parents and sort of setting things up. But if you're still sort of making your kids kind of hangouts, you know, in sixth or seventh grade, you want to start pushing that onto your kid mm-hmm. and at least letting them initiate, even if you're the sort of backstop and you're the one who's driving them and you're helping you know, or you're suggesting activities to them, I would still try to get them to be the one who's in the lead of like at least reaching out to the other kid because certainly by eighth grade or high school, it's just not going to be socially expected for you to be the one initiating their plans. And I think this is tricky for a lot of parents, frankly, because we've gotten very enmeshed with our kids' lives. We, right, we have. And so um, that leads into that question of as parents, how do we, what suggestions do you have so that we approach the 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 use in our home but with boundaries like how do we set up healthy boundaries or and or healthy use what what's for you what's healthy what's unhealthy where when do we cross that line to like um too much too much too often time for a break and how what advice would you give to parents if they feel like their children are just so into it and won't disconnect I think they need to ideally, you know, or it's an opportunity to look at the whole family culture and say, like, could we all unplug together or take certain times of the week or certain times of the day where we're all doing a shared activity? You can also notice what your kid is watching. Like, if they're watching cooking videos, could they be cooking more? I got them a step stool and an apron. You know, if they're watching slime videos, do they have all the stuff to make slime? Like, what are they into? And that it can be a clue. My kid is really into like war strategy games. So we got Risk and other board games that corresponded with his online interest. And he's still playing all of those games, but he's also got an option if we're like, well, unplug, but you can still do war strategy things. It just needs to be like a board game or whatever. Um, one of the things we've talked about is that idea of uh, the, the social dynamic and sometimes online, as you shared, it's really easy to fire off. Um, an unkind response, a negative comment. You're, you're not looking eyeball to eyeball to a child or another friend. What do you advise our parents to do if they, if their child comes to them that someone just slammed them or said something really unkind or hurtful online and they're, they're holding that? What, what, what should that child do? Ideally, maybe take a break from that online communication and seek out the person in person if they think it's redeemable you know like there's things someone could say where I might be like maybe that person isn't your friend maybe take a break you know maybe sit with someone else at lunch but if and also let the counselor at school know if it's an ongoing situation like if it's a one-time thing everything can be explosive in middle school there's all kinds of things but if your kid is struggling if they're wanting to avoid school you know because of it or wanting to you know feeling like they can't go to a certain class or something then I would definitely let the counselor know because there may be things to make school safer and more comfortable Um, But it may be that your kid just needs the language to say, hey, stop calling me that. It's not okay with me. And they just need to set a boundary. So before we go to the like, my kid needs to sit somewhere else or change homerooms, you know, or something like because they may not be able to. Let's see, like, can they assert themselves in the relationship? And maybe the kid really doesn't know they've crossed a boundary. 
Um, the kid may, you know, there's so many different situations. A kid may absolutely know and be intentionally being mean. There may be some in between. There's a lot of sort of plausible deniability and kind of, oh, just kidding. I was just kidding. And like everyone knows they weren't just kidding situations in middle school. And so, and your kid also may have played a role in the conflagration. Like sometimes things are bad and they've played a role in how bad things got. So it's hard to always know. Um, but the most important thing is to to believe your kid and support your kid and give them space to just be themselves at home. Remind them they can take a break from the group text. And then if they want to work it out with that person, that probably talking in person or on FaceTime is going to be better, not fighting it out in the group text in front of everyone, not continuing to thumb things out, right? And they haven't seen us because we are using our devices and thumbing things out in front of them instead of talking. They're not hearing us work out as many conflicts. That's a really good point where... 10, 15 years ago, uh, our children may overhear our phone conversation with a friend. Right, and they're not hearing that. Exactly. And so we need to model that for them as much as possible. And, you know, if you're married, you may have opportunities to model conflict (laughs) and and resolution. Um, If you, you know, live with people, you know, you have that opportunity. So, I mean, even with your kid themselves, like apologizing when you've messed up or flown off the handle and yelled at them when you didn't intend to bring that energy. Um, I think that's modeling something really important when we're accountable for our own behavior. I, I appreciate that. Um, you just referenced that whole idea of apologizing, um, considering your role in something. So when you think if, if a parent learns that their child is someone who has, has been the giver of those unkind comments, of those hurtful comments, of those hurtful posts, what what do you suggest the parent guides the child to do or what is the what does the parent do? Because that's now out there for all of my child said a really unkind thing to, to somebody else or, or posted something not, not kind, not helpful. And this is where I wrote in Growing Up in Public about shame versus guilt. Like it is okay to feel guilty and want to make repair. We don't want to shame children and make them feel like they are irreparable or they're a terrible person. But it is okay to reconsider something you said and feel empathy for the other person and realize you hurt them or crossed a boundary. And if your child is really in over their head, like maybe their impulse control isn't there yet. Maybe you got your 10 or 11-year-old phone and they weren't really ready. You could pull back. You could take a break. You could say, you know what, you weren't really ready for this. Um, you know, I think, you know, why don't you use just like my phone to text these three people that you're safe with texting. But I don't, you can't be in the group text right now because you just showed that you can't be in the group text or maybe it's been like a repeated problem. I mean, I definitely don't think you would want to be in a one strike you're out situation with a kid this age. Um, But I do think if you see repeated examples like my kid can't do this, I mean, every kid is different. If you have a kid who's struggling with impulse control and they take medication that helps them, maybe they're not on the group text after that, those meds wear off. So like, oh, 7.30 at night. No, we're, we're done. And maybe other kids in the class can be on until 8.30, but your kid can't. So I think it's really important to really look at your kid's strengths and struggles. Be honest with yourself. And you do you do kind of want to save kids from themselves at this age, too, if you can. Like, if they are going to, like, throw a lot of hot water into a situation. Um, and again, all kids will mess up at some point. So this is not a failure of you as a parent. And I think it's really important to understand that it's developmental. It's going to happen. Texting is tricky. Every kid in the room in both assemblies raised their hand when I said, like, why is it so easy to get in a misunderstanding on text? So it may not be as unique even. Like, you may talk to other parents and realize, like, their kids have <laughs> made some of those mistakes too, and you might feel better. Yes. Sometimes yes. I liked listening to my kid play Roblox with his friends because 
I was like, oh, this is how they're all talking to each other. Okay, like, I don't love this, but also, like, there's five other people in this conversation, and they're all using this language. And that actually helped me decide, like, what things were an issue that I wanted to interject. Because just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean it's necessarily okay with me as a parent. But I can also hear a situation where I'm like, oh, my kid's not an outlier. (laughs) They're all trash-talking each other in the Roblox game or something. And so that's kind of helpful to know. It's like, "Hmm, okay. So just getting a sense of like how much has my kid crossed the line. And again, if you need to save your kid from yourself, do not be afraid to intervene because you may be doing a lot of good giving your kid even a few months break to hit pause, reset, or really limiting the time they can use it to a time when they can be safer or a time when you're available to supervise it more. That That's a really important point. And you've also shared that idea each child is so unique. And while we want to have really clear guardrails and boundaries, the the classic, it depends. It depends on your child. It depends on their maturity. It depends on what's going on for them socially and personally, right? Yeah. Um, one thing I, I want to end with that you shared with our students that I, I think was a really powerful message about friend versus followers. Will you talk just a little bit about that so our families know what our students heard? So a friend is someone who shows up for you and you show up for them. It could be like who you love to sit with at lunch, who you love to play Minecraft with, who you tell your deepest secrets. It really depends. Like, you know, that could look really different in fifth grade or eighth grade. It could look really different in terms of like gender or what kind of kid your kid is in terms of their personality. But a friend is mutual and they show up for, you know, we show up for each other. And Having just one friend is a huge indicator for kids that things are going okay. Like having a friend is great. If your kid does not have one friend and they want a friend and they feel bad about not having a friend, then I would lean into both talking to the school counselor, seeing if there's a group or something they can be part of, and also looking outside of school in the community, like scouting, religious youth groups, like all kinds of things that your kid could be doing that might help them find that one friend. Um, And again, this is for a kid who is expressing that desire, who feels bad about not having a friend. But if your kid has a friend, they're fine. They do not need a zillion followers. They do not need a zillion friends. Um, What your kid needs is to be a good friend to the friends they have. And so learning about that, I talked to a kid at a school, um, you know, when they were talking about dating at that school, and the kid was like, well, I want to get a girlfriend. And I was like, well, that means you have to be a boyfriend. Like, do you get that that means that, like, so being a friend is being a friend, And so we want our kids to exhibit those friend-like behaviors, and that's how you have and maintain friendships. And followers just pressed a button. All they did was tap their screen. It's really a very low-level commitment, and you are not really obligated to be anyone's follower or follow anyone, and anyone can unfollow you at any time, right? You post something funny, they follow you. You post something annoying, they unfollow you. Very low level of commitment. So it's really important for kids not to get too hung up on their numbers and posting things to get more followers. Um, and instead, they focus on their actual mutual relationships. We we really appreciate that, and I know that resonated with our teachers and our students, and that idea of genuinely connecting. Yeah, what's so important in our lives. So we are often asked, "What do I do if my child sees something or hears something that's really um, un- unkind online?" And I think one of the things we want to reiterate for our listeners, especially our D35 parents, is the idea of if that happens, like think about is it something that I can coach my child to solve with the other child or children? Um, Or is it something that as a parent I can reach out to the other parent and work with them on facilitating that communication? It might be social conflict 
versus something else and taking those first steps to try to support your child to solve some of that social conflict that may be occurring. But if we're talking about something that's more of a safety concern, if we've stepped up several levels and we're thinking about a concern of harm to self or others, that is absolutely when we're asking our students and as parents to be reiterating with your children that that's when we want you to come to a trusted adult, whether that's a parent, you at home, or a trusted adult in the school setting so that we can step in and help in those cases. Um, if that's not something that our, our students or parents are comfortable with, then please use our See Something, Say Something portal so that as a school team, we can find ways to, to help and reach out and get help to those in need. Uh, Dvorah, thank you so much for, you. for joining us and for being here with our parents and our students. I know uh, as educators, but also as parents ourselves, we walked away with suggestions, tools, and some really healthy reminders for us as adults that we can do to model for our students. So as our listeners, if you'd like to hear more from Devorah Heitner, you can watch her presentation to our D35 parents. We're going to have a, a link in our weekly news, as well as we'll send a reminder out to all of our central parents. Her book, Growing Up in Public, is available at the bookstall in Winneka. And a big thank you to our student musicians. We're including recent material from the 2023 Fall Music Festival at Central. Thank you.